Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Sonata Walker here, and we are on with Dr. Mark Goulston, who's a podcaster on multiple podcasts on the network. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, I always look forward to our conversations, Kristen, because they uh, they feel so real, alive, organic, and uh, I'm always happy to be on the show with you. <laughs> Same here. And we're doing a lot of things together. I mean, uh, just so our listeners are updated, what are the names of your two podcasts on the network? One is called My Wake Up Call, where I, I interview people about what's most important to them in life now. And it can't be focused on just material success. And then uh, it's really a conversation more than an interview. And they share their journey and their wake-up calls that led them to do what they're doing. So, for instance, someone who I'm also doing projects with is a fellow named Jason Reed. And I think it's episode 18 in my wake-up call. And he's a serial entrepreneur. And last year, his 14-year-old son hung himself. Mm. And he has a TEDx talk called The Most Important Conversation You Can Have with Your Teenager, Jason Reed. And it basically turned his life around. And his son left two suicide notes. One was, here are my passwords to my computer. And the other one was, tell my story. So Jason has started a foundation called ChooseLife.org, and he's doing a movie called Tell My Story, and his personal mission is to end teen suicide by 2030. Mm -hmm. So I didn't mean to go into that depth, but this is the Mental Health News Radio Network, and suicide is something we feel responsibility for. So that's, that's, that's typical of the episodes for my wake-up call. And then recently I started another one uh, exclusively, on the mental health news radio network, although it's now being carried elsewhere called stay alive. And that's connected to a documentary that I was involved with where I interviewed a fellow named Kevin Hines. He's the fellow who jumped off the golden gate bridge and survived. And in this podcast, I will be interviewing anybody who's been touched by suicide, either from the death by suicide of a family member or or the attempts they've made uh, when they were depressed. And so I'm so proud to be part of your network. 
Oh, thank you. We're glad to have you. And it's a privilege, believe me. And you're also one of the members of our new B Corp, the Digital Tech Initiative, So, uh, which is all about um, digital media and its effect and impact on our society, especially our mental health. Boy, it's epidemic and it's I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. And something I've spoken on and I've written about is that we've become addicted to adrenaline and that now feeds our pleasure. And so pleasure is something that is mediated by something called dopamine. And, and so what happens is everybody needs to keep their adrenaline and excitement high and what has fallen by the wayside is connecting with people, is empathy, is something called oxytocin. And oxytocin is too boring in the digital age. You know, we don't have time to get to someone else's feelings and what they're feeling. Yeah. And it's creating the world around us where people are just falling through the cracks and many are just diving through the cracks to get away from the pain of just being disconnected from everyone, including themselves. Exactly. And what a perfect lead into what we're talking about today. We, we had decided last week when we did a call listener, just so you know, every couple of weeks, uh, Mark and I get on the phone and we just kind of have a, um, a connection call just to uh, kind of empower and support each other. And um, we decided on our last call, you know, we need to do a discussion called You've Got a Friend. And what it would be about is how do we make friends in this highly connected age that is lacking in empathy and rampant in things like narcissism. So uh, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into adult friendships and um, how we, how in the heck do we uh, nurture those, sustain them when we've got so much going on in our lives? I mean, I could literally be at my computer 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and still not get done the work that I need to get done. So how do you fit in and nurture those important relationships in your life? And then I don't want to miss out on new ones. And I meet new people all the time. And so do you, because we're both great connectors. So your thoughts, Mark. Well, a friend of mine is a, one of the top sports psychologists in the world. He's a sports psychologist for the Seattle Seahawks. And his name is Michael Gervais. And he has a wildly popular podcast called Finding Mastery. And I'd suggest you check it out. But I remember one thing he once told me years ago. He said, people don't do what's important to them. They do what they care enough about. Mm -hmm. So it's important for me to exercise and eat well, but I don't care enough about it to do the best job. So I think you have to care enough about connecting to people. And, and, and the way you know you care enough about something is you commit in action to doing something about it. You follow through, you do something. And I think why I care so much about it is sometimes I'll get up in the being the human doing and boy, is it exciting. Mm -hmm. But I'll get these waves of how meaningless it is and how empty it is and how time can go by. And it was exciting, which, but the main thing it offered was relief from boredom. <laughs> 
right. and and uh, and and how empty it is, and uh, and also what I'm reminded of is when you have those moments when you actually connect with someone uh, without any purpose to drive business or close a deal. Exactly, it's amazing what happens to people and how they uh, how they open up to you. I, I remember, you know, because I have a pretty big platform. Uh, I got some email from someone in India. You know, he was having a rough time, I guess. Uh, I think he was a teenager. And he wrote back and he said, nobody as important as you has ever typed my name. Oh. I've had people send me things like that too. And I always think, oh my gosh, I don't know how to take something like that because I immediately want to go to where you go to too, which is to start, you know, Differing that sort of, you know, you can't possibly mean me. I'm not all that important, you know. <laughs> yeah, and and I will tell you something. Um, if in the world, compared to the nobodies of the world, you are perceived as a somebody, one of your greatest opportunities is just noticing someone who perceives themselves as a nobody. Right. In fact, there's something that I, I've been practicing, but I haven't done it diligently. And I've even talked about it. In fact, in my podcast, uh, Stay Alive, I think it might be the eighth episode. And what I've been trying to practice daily is when I run into one of the invisible people in the world that the world sees as a function and even like an appliance. Uh, and that could be a cashier, that could be a, a TSA agent uh, checking your passport. And I'll pause for a second, I'll look them in the eye and I'll say, what made you smile today? Now, sometimes they're annoyed, but <laughs> I haven't run into that because it's sincere. I'll say, what made you smile today? And they look at you, and what happens is they will pause, and they will say something, so they're getting a second hit from something that made them happy today, mm. and they get to re-experience it. Their, their faces light up with gratitude, and the benefit to you as the person asking it is, for me, it gets me out of a tendency to be a tad too self-absorbed. Right. And when I get self-absorbed, yeah, I can be productive, but it often runs into my, how am I help? How am I caring about the world? What did I do today to make the world a safer, happier place? And so when you do that and you get nothing from it other than the acknowledgement from somebody who's treated as a nobody and you made them into a person, telling you it's phenomenal not just what it does for them but what it does for you and that's sort of a segue to our relationship because we were going to talk about how you know we first met and uh, one of your other great podcasters frank king frank uh, the wonderful wonderful frank king what a wonderful human being and i had him on my podcast uh, on my wake-up call and then he introduced me to you and so what we we're going to talk about is for our listeners, do you ever have a conversation where it starts out like business, but something flexes into something more? You just have a feeling, I like this person. Right. I, I, I'd, like, I'd like to 
uh, have more interaction with them. And one of the things that I'm learning with you and why I'm so involved with projects with you is it gives me an excuse to have interactions with you. Because <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't make the time. I, and, 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 and I'd kick myself and I'd say, God, what's Kristen doing? I haven't spoken to her in months. And every time I speak to you, I say, now, now that felt great and I hope it was mutual. And yep. since we're doing projects together, you know, we have, we have a, a non-relatedness reason to connect, but then the relatedness always seeks in. Yes, exactly. I know I do that too. I, I find a way, I mean, since I am a workaholic and I don't have any problem with it because I get so much satisfaction out of the work that I choose to do. um, I really don't, you know, sometimes somebody might say, or I've, I had somebody say a long time ago, I've not had anyone say this in a long time. Um, you know, oh, you just, uh, you're just so focused on work. That's all you care about. And you're just always trying to get people in to work with you. And I like the way you put it because I, they didn't get it. And I didn't know how to articulate what it is I do. And that's it. Because I spend so much time working, it's going to be easier for me to maintain a connection with someone that's personal if I'm also working with them. <laughs> so I try to find a way to kind of make that happen. Not always, but more often than not. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, you know, you know, I'll reveal a little bit of, I think where I'm coming from is a, uh, and something that's made me feel less in the world as a man at my core, I am not an I, I am a we. Mm. And by that, I mean, at my core, I wanted to find like-minded, like-spirited, like-hearted people. And then let's build something great together that helps people outside us. And, uh, and I've often felt less than in the world of men because there's really not this huge push. I, you know, I want to be king of the world. I want to uh, take over the world. I, you know, I want to be, you know, rich and powerful. Uh, and I always felt less than. Right. You know, I'm hanging out with, especially male entrepreneurs, because, God, it seems like uh, this need to connect and my core be a we. It seemed like a weakness, and I wouldn't be talking about it right now with you, if I haven't turned a corner and think, uh, I don't know that it's a strength, it could be, but I don't see it as a weakness anymore. Good. I'm so glad. It's definitely not a weakness. I see it as a superpower. Honestly, I really do. There are not many, I think that we don't, I was just actually talking to Adam Klugman, which is someone else that you know, I believe, correct? I mean, I know you know him through Digital Tech Initiative. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to know as, again as we, right. as we grow our Digital Tech Initiative together. Right. He, uh, you know, we, we had the kind of the same thing happen where we just introduced to each other by Frank and then it spawned into other things and, you know, we're working together. And we were talking about that, that need to connect and that it is, we don't recognize when you're good at something, let me put this a different way. When you're really good at something, you don't necessarily know how good you are at something because it's just natural for you. So I'll give you an example. I was asked to 
come to a, an event that has to do with horses and it's called barrel racing. And anyone that's a horse person that knows what that is, just go ahead and laugh at how ridiculous the way I introduced that sounds. But I was asked to go to this event. It's where my horse gets boarded. I don't know anything about it. I mean, think in my mind, I'm picturing people like carrying a barrel and running around a field around horses. I have no clue what it is, but because I'm a podcaster, I get asked to um, MC this event. And I spent seven hours yesterday emceeing this event. They put a mic in front of me. And it reminded me because I don't know anything. I don't know what things mean. There's a whole language when it comes to the horse world that I don't understand what it is. And yet I am supposed to be emceeing this event. And there were several people sitting next to me, and boy, they knew everything. I kept having to tell them, just give me one sentence at a time, because I can't remember three sentences, and then I got to turn on the mic and repeat you. Just literally give them to me one at a time. And I'd look at them and say, well, listen, you really know what this is. Here's the mic. You say it. And they immediately go, I can't do that. And it just reminded me of, oh, okay, I'm so comfortable with a microphone, a camera, whatever it is uh, in terms of speaking, I don't even think about it. It's na- I'm, I'm naturally comfortable with it. It's something that I've always been good at. When you get to that place, you forget that, you know, public speaking as an example is a huge fear for most everybody else. So in terms of this as a superpower, I think, Mark, you just don't realize yet how great it is because you're just naturally good at it well you know it's interesting um i i've discovered for myself the secret to being psychologically free which i am now i messed up in a lot of other ways but i'm psychologically (laughs) free and what it is is i always assume innocence and goodwill until i can't Mm. So wherever I go, uh, I just assume, and, and I think part of it is I don't believe I'm judgmental towards people. Mm-hmm. And so I don't perceive other people being judgmental towards me. I wish some of this rubbed off on some of my relatives. <laughs> and it may be that I became non-judgmental because I saw the cost of being judgmental to some of my relatives and their families. It, it's, it's a horrible cost. And so I assume goodwill and innocence until I can't. And then if someone says something nasty or whatever, I never get angry or defensive. I pause and I look like Peter Falk, the Columbo detective, and I, and I am confused. And I say, what was that about? And then if they keep getting angry, I say, well, is there something either I, there's something I did or failed to do that's triggering that, or I remind you of someone else. What's going on? Mm, yeah. And, uh, and so I'm free. I, I go into situations, uh, you know, I spoke in Russia uh, two years ago, and it went so well, and I'm going back this October. And I think, it, I'll just share the anecdote because I think it's funny. So I'm there in front of 450 managers from the Russian Federation. They're hearing me in Russian. I'm speaking in English. <laughs> so they don't have headphones on. They just can't hear me. And my opening slide was a picture of a Russian audience with the stern looks in their arms crossed. And that was my first slide. And I showed that to the audience. And I said, all my friends said, when you get to Russia, don't smile. 
They can't stand smiling. And they're looking at me and looking at each other. I mean, who is this American coming out of the gate? And I said, now I realized I put myself in your shoes and I figured out the reason you don't smile. It's because I'm a foreigner and historically for centuries, the only reason foreigners came into your country was to kill all of you. Hmm. And, I, and, and I have a feeling that if I can give you something that makes your life immediately better and I don't take advantage of you and you can use it today and there's no upsell. I don't have a course I'm selling. Uh, uh, you can buy the Russian edition of my book. You don't have to. But just the price of admission and the six hours you're giving me, if I give you something that you can use that makes your life better uh, and, and makes it easier and less stressful, not only are you going to smile, we're going to drink vodka. You're going to drink me under the table and you three young men over there are going to carry me back to the Metropole. <laughs> and I had them at hello. I, I mean, I had them for six hours. Wow. But, but it was just assuming goodwill. And then they, and they just exchanged it. So um, uh, I, I'd like to share that with people because it's, it psychologically has freed me in the world. I'll tell you one other story that I'm done. I remember about eight years ago, I was lost in a bad part of Los Angeles and I was looking for some hospital or clinic and I pull in and it's, it's, it's dark at night and I pull into an abandoned garage, you know, and I have a decent car and there's a gang meeting there and I just pull in there up to them and I say, I'm lost. Do you know where the such and such hospital is? And then, you know, I rolled my window down and, you know, one of them comes up to me and they don't know what to make of me. And he says, yeah, no, it's over there. And you turn left, right. I say, well, wait, can I write it down? Uh, and then I drive out. Now, my wife said, you're crazy. Well, we all know that. But I just assume goodwill. I'm, now, I'm not saying I should do that regularly, but <laughs> it is amazing that if you assume goodwill and innocence, you know, it's amazing what you get back. It's very true. Very true. I, I do exactly that same thing. I have had it smack me around a few times, but the the amount of times that that works for me, I just put it at 98%. 2% of the time, that wasn't such a good thing. <laughs> so the odds uh, are in my favor. Oh, can I tell you another funny anecdote? Sure. This one you, you haven't heard, Chris. <laughs> Way once upon a time before the advent of The Bachelor, there was this scandalous show called uh, Who Wants to Marry a Millionaire? I remember. Yeah. And, uh, and they had me as an advisor uh, to come up with questions that, the, the person, uh, the man who was there uh, questioning all these women, you know, to find out more about them. So I was an advisor. And then when it happened and then actually uh, he married one of the women, you know, and then it sort of backfired. But I remember the day that that happened and he married, you know, and he proposed the BBC uh, in Britain said, uh, you know, you know, we'd like, we'd like to interview you what you think about this and i remember it was the it was the night that it happened and this is before it turned into kind of the laughing stock that it did and so i was on the bbc's morning show the equivalent of the today show 
and they said, doctor. Now, do you think it's possible to fall in love with someone over a period of a couple days and have that last forever? And I said, you know, I really don't know. But if I had the choice of believing in magic and fantasies mm. and that dreams can come true or being cold, cynical, and British, I think I'd go with the fantasies. Right. And, that, and their response to me, can you stick around for our next show? Exactly. I know. I say the same, the same thing. And it's when I start feeling like I'm losing that connection to the magic of life that, that I start getting really down, not depressed because I, I haven't gone there in a long time, but just I, I, I have to do something to get back into that space because it means I'm way too much in the, you know, earthly realm. <laughs> I've gotten too entrenched in, in that. And I've got to do things to sort of put me back into that space where all things are possible. You just triggered something because whenever we speak, you know, hopefully we trigger each other in a good way, not a bad way. Yes. Always a good way. And I've been, Hearing a lot about burnout, what causes burnout? What is burnout? Especially in the medical profession, you know, I'm a, I'm a medical doctor and the suicide rate is huge for uh, physicians. And in fact, if people check out my wake-up call, I did an interview with Pamela Weibel, who I can introduce you to, and she's the leading authority on physician suicide. It is epidemic. And so I've been trying to figure out what burnout is and something just occurred to me. I think I feel burned out when I feel I can't trust anyone. And if I do, I'm being foolish. Mm. It's not all of it, but I, but I think that's a part of it that I can't trust anyone because, you know, they don't do what they say they're going to do, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And if you trust anyone, you're just being foolish. But I find when I trust no one, I think that contributes to my feeling burned out. Can can you relate to any of that? Yes, I can. Um, And I'll do that in my own head. I'll get it to places where I'm, where I'm thinking so small in my life. Uh, Maybe it's because I've had too much interaction with an extremely egotistical or even, you know, uh, narcissistic person and who are very paranoid and, always stuck in the minutiae of smallness. And if I, if I have someone like that in my life that I haven't done a good job of, uh, of protecting myself from, I can, I can also allow myself to get sucked into that small way of thinking and start thinking the world is against me and, oh, that person looked at me funny or they don't want anything to do with me or whatever. And it takes me a bit, not, not very long anymore, but it takes me a bit to pull out of that and look at things from the top of the building instead of the basement um, to get that kind of a view of what's going on in my life. I actually had to do that today. I went into the network website and I looked at all the shows that got posted today uh, from all of these incredible people that do podcasts. And I went, okay, this is me looking at that 100,000 foot view. It's 
not good for me to stay in smallness, don't trust anyone. Uh, and, and if I was really that kind of a person, would I have all of this stuff and this platform to, you know, where there's a collective space for it? And the answer is no, I wouldn't. Um, and the other thing that makes me think of that is I did have someone in my life that um, kind of made a joke out of, out of saying, trust no one, even no one. And that was their MO. And this was someone that I allowed to influence the decisions I made in my own life. And the minute that I walked away from that relationship, it's like some kind of clamp on myself was removed and I felt free and open again. So I think, I think some of it is who we allow in to influence us how much influence we give them, which is our responsibility as well. And um, if we're naturally someone like we are, connectors, we have to be really, really careful about who we allow in to influence us while maintaining the I love everybody and they prove, you know, give, give everybody the benefit of the doubt. That's a tricky road. <laughs> uh. I got to recommend a book. A good friend of mine is Dr. Ivan Meisner. He's the founder of something called BNI, big networking organization. And his most recent book is one of my favorite books of all time, mainly because I could read it in a half an hour, but it's called Who, Who is in Your, Who's in Your Room? And what he talked about is he said, and it's so simple, he said, imagine that your room here is... Once you let someone in your room, you can never get rid of them. Mm -hmm. You can never. Uh, and all the people who have been in your life are in your room. And we call some of them baggage. And he said, if it was true that you have a room in which there's an entry, but no exit, would you be more careful about who you let into your room? Yeah. And I thought, what a fascinating uh, paradigm that and if you think that if I let them in there's no way they're going to get out and what's sad is that uh, sometimes you can get them out but the brain damage it does to you to that's get right. them out that's right horrendous and I just thought that was so helpful and the other thing uh, which I'm learning and I think you're learning is there are people in our life that we should get out of our life Yes. And we make excuses. We give them all kinds of chances. Yes. And, uh, and here's how I've discovered to do a better job of it. The more that I hang around with people like you, uh, the more that I hang around with people that give me energy when I'm with them and afterwards I, I just feel filled up, uh, the more who, yeah, will complain to each other, but we're always focusing on the solution and how we can move forward. What happens is it makes the other people physically repugnant to me. <laughs> no, no, phys I, physiologically, it is nails on a chalkboard. I just hear the their voice. I get a voicemail and it's like, ah. Oh. And so the more you hang out with great people, and I'm not talking about hoity-toity better than, I'm just talking about great people who are, low maintenance, easy to please, 
difficult to upset. The more it makes the high maintenance people who are easy to upset and difficult to please, the more I get physiologically ill. And so I, I think if I'm reaching the point where I want to vomit, it makes it easier to cut people out of my life. Exactly. Same, same here. And I've learned that uh, my ability to make a garden out of a wasteland comes from childhood and managing a lot of chaos and negativity that I shouldn't, you know, no child needs to, you know, tend to those kinds of gardens. Um, and I've taken that into my adulthood and I can get caught there something will start to go awry and because i've put my heart into it or i've brought other people into it that i respect i will work really hard at making that wasteland be this beautiful garden and i'm i learned from a recent situation you know what you're not going to do that anymore you're going to stop and say you know what i've just discovered that this is a wasteland and I am not going to tend to it. I'm not going to fall back on the Christian will make everything okay, even horrible things. I'm just not going to do it because it's not, it's not worth it. And it takes from me physically, emotionally, you know, in, in so many ways. And it's hard to catch yourself sometimes, you know, repeating those patterns from childhood that were so ingrained in us. But uh, that's part of learning lessons in life, I think. Totally. Uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm the master of sound bites and book titles. So you just triggered a book title. This is a bestseller. You and I are too busy. We're not going to write it. But if someone's listening, you write this book. It's a bestseller. Trust me. So here's here. It's coming from our conversation. It'll, and what's the title of it? No Child Left Behind. How to Heal Completely from a Traumatic Childhood. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you're listening, just give us a credit. You know, I <laughs> right. heard about this on you know, Kristen's podcast. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> so how do, we, how do we translate that into, um, you know, or how do we nurture those relationships, those adult relationships in our lives in the midst of being so busy? all the time. Well, a, another friend of mine, a fellow named Lee Ryan, uh, uh, he has an executive search firm, and he does something with his, uh, his significant other. And he says, once a month, and I'm suggesting this is something we can do with ourselves. He says, once a month, they go out to a nice dinner and they basically answer the question, are we on track? Mm. And what does that mean? Are we, on, are we heading towards the future we both want to live into uh, for ourselves and with each other? And I think if once a month you sit down with yourself or you go for a long walk and you say, am I on track? Am I living the life that, uh, uh, that I'll be glad I lived? And if, if not, what needs to change? You know, I'm, I'm all filled with book recommendations. So there's another book that I'd recommend. I didn't know this was going to be a book review show. And it's called, it's called 10, 10, 10 by Susie Welsh. Now, Susie Welsh is married to Jack Welsh. 
This is one of her lesser known books. And it's, again, I like books that I can read in less than an hour. And she said, when you're making decisions in life, or when she's making decisions, she thinks about how she'll feel about the decision 10 minutes, 10 months, and 10 years from now. And she gave an example that when she was a single divorced mom, she realized one time she'd have to tell one of her kids, the birthday party's off tomorrow, I got to work. And she knew that in 10 minutes, they would be pretty unhappy. Right. But she knew in 10 months that when she's up for a promotion so that she could be a better provider, that by putting the company first, it would help her get that promotion. But then what she added, she said the toughest decisions, but the best ones are when you're walking uh, you know, along the beach and you're thinking about how will I feel 10 years from now about a decision? And she said, that's when I decided I needed to get a divorce for my first marriage. And I'd say, how will I feel about this 10 years from now? And I think that's, that's a pretty good exercise that we could all do. You know, as we look at our life, or we're about to make a decision. How will I feel 10 minutes, 10 months, and 10 years from now? Very true. Very true. I think that uh, another thing that I've learned on this, you know, connected friendship piece, um, and, it, and it speaks to the magic that we were talking about earlier, something for me, and this is nothing earth shattering. It's been said before. I'm just saying it because it's, it's something that bears repeating. You know how they say, if you've got a lot of busyness going on in your life, you should meditate. And people go, I, I don't have time. I, I just said I'm busy. I don't have time to sit and, you know, meditate for 10 minutes or however. But if you do that, it's almost like some sort of portal in time opens up. And we've all heard of that. But one of the things that I likened to helping you with maintaining friendships and maintaining connections is if you don't have enough connections in your life or you're feeling lonely or you're feeling like you're, there's too much going on for you to stay connected with people, I always run back to volunteer your time. Pick something, even if it's an hour every two weeks, an hour a month, volunteer your time somewhere to do something for somebody else. And um, I, it magically opens up time for you. And it opens up time in the way of more human connection, more connectedness. And don't do it online. Pick a volunteer activity. Like I will go visit a, this guy that lives um, in, this, in the city just next to mine. He's in his 90s. He's just someone I met at the post office. And uh, anytime I'm feeling overly burdened and not enough connection, I'll just stop by and say hi to him for 30 minutes, which he greatly appreciates. And uh, the benefit of that is, you know, that oxytocin hit that you were talking about earlier, but it also somehow helps me in my connections with everybody else that I have in my life. And you and I are both someones who have a lot of people in our lives, a lot of amazing people in our lives. It helps me manage those connections better. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. In fact, when I was practicing as a practicing psychiatrist and I would see depressed patients or even anxious patients, one of the things I would urge them to do is go out and volunteer 
but volunteer in a way in which you're interacting with people as opposed to just stuffing boxes or something. Right. Because what will happen is you will get relief from feeling self-absorbed because a number of people who are depressed and anxious down deep feel, maybe I don't deserve to be happy because all I think about is myself. You know, I, I just think about myself and, and maybe this is my punishment. You know, I'm so self-absorbed. And when you can go out and volunteer with, in a place in which you get nothing from it other than the relief from self-absorption, uh, it, it, can, it can do all the things you're saying, but it can also start to relieve depression and anxiety because you, you feel sort of worthy when you do that. Yes, absolutely. And you want a cure for self-absorption? Yeah, go volunteer somewhere. Something that I thought was interesting, I wanted to get your take on it, and I know we're, we're getting close to time, but I do find this a little bit shocking sometimes, and it, it's kind of like what you first talked about, where someone will say something to you and it's catty or whatever, and you kind of question them, well, where did that come from. That made me think of a moment. It actually has to do with Frank King. I was, I was doing an event with him and someone I'd never met before that was brought in by someone else um, was listening to Frank talk. And you've heard Frank talk. I mean, this man has dedicated his entire career now to educating all of us about suicide and also how many people has he helped and it was interesting because this person i had never met sat down and said oh that guy has to get some new jokes just this most negative small-minded uh um i never heard of him before but for whatever reason didn't like him and i remember doing that i i looked at her and i said is that all you see when you look at him i was i was shocked and I thought to myself, if they are taken aback by what I said, I, 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 it just flew out of my mouth. It wasn't something I, you know, planted on purpose. But I thought, well, if they, I thought to myself, if they are taken aback by what I said, maybe, you know, uh, there's some hope here because I've, you know, helped them think, what, are, what exactly are you saying? But they didn't. They just, no awareness, just continue with this catty talk and moved on to being catty about other people. In those situations, how do you pull yourself out of a situation where you are speaking with someone and no matter what you tried to do to shift them into being more empathetic or understanding, they're just not going to go there. And so you say to yourself, I really don't want any further interaction with this person. I used to be someone that tried to continue to make them see, and now I let it go and walk away. But how do you handle those interactions? Well, you know, I wrote my book, this book, Talking to Crazy, which is about how do you deal with irrational, impossible people. Right. And there's a tactic I use um, called assertive humility. And what I might say to that person is, I'd let them say that. I'd say, I need your help with something. And they're going to say, what? And I'm going to, yeah, I wait till they go, they go, yeah, I need your help with something. Because uh, based on some of the comments you just made, and, I, and, and you did it more than once, um, 
I'm about to write you off. Mm. And I need your help because when I get into that mindset, I sometimes think, well, you're being kind of judgmental. You're not giving them the benefit of the doubt. And at the very least, you can tell them why you're about to write them off. And the reason I'm about to write you off is I feel we're protective of certain people who I see have a lot of goodness. And yes, we all have annoying things that we all do. Right. And I felt protective of Frank and my regard for him and all the good that he does. And what happened is it, it, it brought up the, uh, you know, the protective, defensive, who the hell do you think you are part of me? And, um, and I don't feel bad about feeling that, but afterwards I, I could say, you know, you know, maybe you rushed the judgment. Mm. Maybe you didn't give them the benefit of the doubt. And so I just wanted to run that by you, uh, you know, because, yeah, afterwards I could have said, oh, I'll never see that person again. But then after, after, after the afterwards, I can think, well, you know, maybe, maybe they're having a bad day. Right. Maybe Frank reminded them of someone. Maybe you were the judgmental one. So I'd like your help with sorting that out. Hmm. How, how have been reactions to that been for you? Um, well, the point is, I don't care about the reaction. What I care about is afterwards saying, is that the best that I can be? And so I don't get attached to the results. So I give them the chance to have a conversation with me. And then if, you know, if they get really irate, you know, or angry, I can say, well, uh, it's probably heading in the direction of, you know, probably not seeing you again. Right. Uh, but at the very least, I can leave saying, you know, instead of getting angry and judgmental and retaliatory and where your mind went, you know, I'll say to myself, that, that, was, that was a pretty classy way to handle something, which you could have done in a much more destructive and dismissive way, which doesn't make you any better than they are. Right. Very true. Very true. So to me, that's uh, practicing really good boundaries as well. And it's um, keeping you in that empathetic zone instead of you're right, dipping your toe into the land that that person's coming from at that moment, whether they're just having a bad day or they're just not a very nice person um, where they're, you know, living in judgment. Sure. As a, as a highly em, empathic person, you have to have your guard up around that kind of, those kinds of people or that kind of behavior because we can tend to start feeling what that person's feeling and then you forget that this isn't really how you feel about something. You're just sort of waiting in someone else's junk at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, my friend, <laughs> I think it's about that time. It is. It's about that time. And listeners, we always are welcome to our furry friends on the show. So if you hear little clicking noises on my floor, think of this and it'll just make you feel good on shows, I hope. That's the cutest Australian Shepherd Border Collie named Smokey you've ever seen in your life. And he's a part of this show, too. He's got some nails on him and I have hardwood floors in the studio and every so often he clicks around to come and uh, give me a nudge during a show and um, that's what you're hearing there in the background. So we welcome him to the platform also. <laughs> well, he, he's, he's welcome. Uh, maybe he'll have a play date with my, we have a beagle named Bronco who is beautiful <laughs> and, the, and 
hands down the dumbest dog in the world. I mean, there is nothing going on. We have pictures and you've never seen a more clueless but beautiful dog. I mean, I've been looking into it and my daughter named her Bronco because my daughter's a little irreverent. Maybe she's just confused having a name like Bronco, but there's absolutely nothing going on. It's fascinating. And here I have a dog that has like the uh, IQ of a, uh, or the capability of a six-year-old. Uh, this dog is, is you know, being a border collie and an Australian shepherd. So it's, it's uh, fascinating. But thank you, Dr. Mark Goulston. Tell our listeners, of course, where they can find out more about you, your website. Well, yeah, you can go to markgoulston.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com. Uh, I would like also check out our documentary. You can go to youtube.com forward slash stay alive video. And it's won multiple awards. It's a documentary about suicide prevention. And finally, if you go to my Twitter feed at Mark Goulston, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N, I have a permanently pinned tweet about asking people if they've ever known of or known someone who died by suicide and it has 2.4 million impressions and over 1,500 comments that are heart-wrenching. But if you've been touched by suicide, you'll feel less alone. Absolutely. And please, listeners, pay attention to our new initiative. It's called Digital Tech Initiative. You can go to digitaltechinitiative.com. We're doing amazing things there, talking about how the landscape of technology and online technology and um, how it's impacting our lives. So check that out as well. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. But never without good intentions I heat up and act on my emotions Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial.